This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me on the other side is Mr. Macaraccio. Matt, another week of college football and the NFL in the books. We are closing in on Thanksgiving and the holiday season. Then that means... The football season is already on the back stretch. How are you doing this evening? Honestly, I'm like you've already kind of painted the picture already. I mean, the stuffing, the turkey, all the trimmings. I'm getting ready for the end of the season because honestly, our party here really kind of starts as the year begins to wind down, as we begin to kind of get a feel to really crystallize, you know, who those prospects are that are starting to march their way into the limelight or the uh the top of the the top of the sites that is and also from the NFL season we get a chance to really see how these rookies that we saw last year these guys that we knew were coming in really itching to get some playing time who's really kind of you know who's starting to really develop and show who they are and um and, and really kind of push the edge of our kind of interest and intrigue as the season winds down the playoffs start heating up so i mean it it really is it really is the holiday season. Yes, the season is winding down, but I think it's really starting to heat up for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this year, I don't remember a year. It's so much uncertainty at the top of each positional group. And this this year really, I think, is almost unlike any year we've had here at Saturday to Sunday because – there's so much uncertainty with the quarterback position, which usually there's not a lot of uncertainty with the quarterback position. There's uncertainty in terms of how high a running back might go. And, and is there really anyone, you know, besides maybe Brees Hall, like is anyone else really worthy to go in the top 30 or 40 picks? I mean, maybe Kenneth Walker, maybe Isaiah Spiller. The wide receiver group is very strong, but I think the order in which those guys come off the board is very debatable. I think years past, we usually had a little bit more clarity in terms of maybe what the top of even the wide receiver board. Like last year, we knew it was Jamar Chase. It was the Alabama receivers. There was no doubt about it that those were going to be the first three guys taken. This year, a lot of uncertainty. Is it the Ohio State guys? Is it Drake London? Is it... Any of the Alabama guys, you know, things are up for grabs. Tight end last year was pretty pretty self-explanatory that it was Kyle Pitts in round one, Pat Fryer moved in round two. This year, probably no round one guy. One round two guy, definitely, but is that it? So there's there's a lot more uncertainty. Usually by now, by as we turn the, the page to Thanksgiving and then the holidays in, in the month of December, usually by now, things crystallize a little bit, especially with the the premier players, right? The top fives, the top sevens, the top tens, you know, things move a little bit, but usually by now we have a pretty good gauge, not this year. And I think that's going to make this a really interesting home stretch of the season. And then the pre-draft months where, like you said, that's really where we kind of kick into high gear here. So let's jump right into the NFL draft report for this week. And All eyes this week were on a quarterback matchup. Had a lot of NFL scouts watching UNC versus Pittsburgh. Sam Howell, who started the year as the presumptive number one pick, has seen his stock drop. But him versus Kenny Pickett, who we've talked about over the last couple weeks, uh, game goes to overtime. So NFL scouts, GMs, coaches, whoever in attendance, they got to see these guys. uh, Four quarters plus OT. Sam Howell comes away 290 and 
and two touchdowns. Kenny Pickett, 346 and three touchdowns. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where the NFL kind of lands on these two. Howell's got a little bit more athleticism for sure than a guy like Kenny Pickett, who's going to play more from the pocket and, and throw on the run a little bit, but not really going to be his, his bread and butter. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of these guys. This game, how much stock do they put? Because they watch these guys live. And we know NFL scouts always talk about, you know, watching guys live is so important. And this was a big game against another potential top quarterback. So, you know, I think that's an interesting jumping off point here. We also did have Desmond Ritter this week, 304 yards and two touchdowns, another 65 yards on the ground and one touchdown. And then we had our guy, Matt Corral, who I think has seized control of QB1 for right now versus Texas A&M, just continuing to do what he's done all year. Smart football, at doing what's asked of him, and he's showing better decision-making, lack of turnovers, and I think that's going to get him towards the top of the draft come next April, this week, 247 and a touchdown. Matt, any thoughts on the quarterback position? Do you think NFL scouts weigh a, the game more if they're in the, and the GMs in particular who don't, who aren't on the grind of traveling like scouts. Do you think they, they weigh a game where they go and, and get eyes in person a little bit more? Do you think when they're up against a, another top level quarterback, do you think that type of pressure maybe garners, you know, more scrutiny from the NFL landscape and they maybe hold this game in a little bit more weight in terms of the big picture of evaluating these guys? Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I think that I think there's a lot to be said about what you just brought up in terms of the weight that certain games hold over others. I, I think we'd be silly not to consider it that way because if we talk about you know that that problem solver lens, if we come from that space, if we're coming from that that idea, from that that area of understanding, then certainly the more complex, the more NFL ready you know, a problem is uh, the more representative you get a chance to see the type of performance that you might see at the next level. So I think as the better players uh, are competing against each other, I think the more NFL like, you know, the potential types of exposures become. So I, I certainly think for sure there's something to be said about consistency, about what they do over time, about how they perform over time and what type of, you know, problem solving skills they display over time. I, I definitely agree with all that. But I also think that, you know, when you talk about teams that are of a certain level competing against each other with a certain amount of presumptive pressure that's sort of on the game, I do think that we begin to see a little bit more of an NFL-like landscape that's being painted in front of us. And I think that that does carry weight. And I think that, you know, it was interesting, uh, you know, whether this is true or not, I think there was, uh, I read something recently that said something like Mel Kiper had kind of, I guess, alluded to him, Paul, I know that you're always on the beat when it comes to this stuff. But something along the lines that, you know, Mel Kuyper's top, top five quarterbacks, um, number one, I think, overall was Kenny Pickett. Number two uh, was Sam Howell. I think number three was, and again, I, I could be mixing this up ever so slightly, but I believe the top five after that was, I know Kenny Pickett was one. I think Sam Howell was two. And then it was followed by, some in some order, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, and another one who I thought was very interesting Phil Yurkovic from uh, Boston College and whether or not he would come out or, or he would stay home. And it just like as I'm listening to this list being read, I never felt more ambivalent 
towards towards any of these names as I've ever felt. It's like, you know, you, you listen to the quarterback names usually right off and you're like, oh, that's my guy. You know, Matt Corral obviously was there, I believe, at number three on his list. Um, Kenny Pickett, I believe, was number one. I think Howell was number two. I think after Corral, I believe it was Ritter, then Willis uh, at number five, and then Yurkovic was number six, if I recall correctly, if that was the proper order. But I never felt more ambivalent about a group of quarterbacks, save Matt Corral, than I ever felt at any draft season leading up to this point. Because there isn't really much about this class that inspires a ton of confidence about how they're going to project towards the next level. I mean, you talk about a massive matchup between UNC and Pittsburgh in terms of really potentially solidifying that draft order for a really important position when it comes to the draft. And, I mean, it's not exactly – I don't know. It didn't exactly get – heaven and earth moving in my world, you know, interesting game was interesting, you know, but when you look at their performances, uh, I mean, big yardage numbers, some, some volume based statistics, but not exactly like deathly accurate, you know, competitiveness going on there. I, I preferred the Matt Corral game at Texas A&M that I preferred this game, to be honest with you. I I'd rather watch that game. And that's kind of what I did. I watched a lot of that game. Um, I just, it's to your point earlier, I've never been so uncertain or lacking uh, feeling towards a class of quarterbacks than this particular one. Um, but that's really why mostly because I feel like it is Matt Corral for me and then everybody else. That doesn't mean that that's right. It just means that that's kind of where I'm I'm leaning. Yeah, and I think it's like we've been doing this long enough now that like we've we went through the hopper with the mixed feelings of Daniel Jones and the differing opinions of Jordan Love and the uncertainty of Ken Jalen Hurts play quarterback and is Drew Locke too wild and can't really play within the structure of a system, right? I kind of feel like this draft class besides Matt Corral, I kind of feel like this draft class is like take all the guys that cause a lot of discussion in terms of skill level and uncertainty since we've been doing Saturday to Sunday. And I kind of feel like that's what we have here. And we don't have a guy like a Josh Allen, right, who there was so much discussion about, but the raw traits were just so elite. But then people were just so concerned about the accuracy and and some of that stuff but there were rare traits, right? These guys are much more, I think, in that Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Jordan Love, you know, Jalen Hurts of, there's question marks whether any of these guys should go in round one. And just like there were question marks that kind of completely surrounded all those names that I just ran off. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some other guys too. Like, and that's kind of what this class is at the quarterback position, which is going to make, I think it's so fascinating of do teams reach for a quarterback? Do they make themselves fall in love with a quarterback or do they kind of just punt the position and you see some of these guys fall to day two and then maybe a team is willing to say, you know what, we'll take a chance on day two. It, it, if, if we think he's the goods, great. We just found the really cheap starting quarterback who can develop into a franchise quarterback. But if not, it's not a big commitment that we have to feel like we have to give him like the next three or four years, like the keys to the kingdom. And I do wonder if we're going to see a little bit of that with some of these guys where these teams in the top 10 or top 15 are going to say, nope, we're not taking him in the top 10, top 15. If some of these guys fall to the second round, 
maybe we'll think about in the top of the second round where Denver took, you know, Drew Locke and and where other guys have fallen, uh, you know, because of potential, you know, concerns that teams had. I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see. And do you see some really good teams at the back end of round one say, you know what, we don't get an opportunity to take the top handful of quarterbacks in a draft class do they sell themselves on it and maybe get like what they hope to be the heir apparent to a, maybe a more established player because they don't usually get the opportunity to take one of the top quarterbacks in the class. If they're picking, you know, in the 25 to 32 range, let's say, I think that's another interesting dynamic here of, do you have those teams that, you know, maybe are, are looking at the next guy, but are still a good team do they consider somebody, you know, I don't think there's as many older quarterbacks. Like, obviously, we know Aaron Rodgers is going to move on. Are they going to give Jordan Love a chance? Or are they a team that could be thinking late round one in the quarterback mix if Aaron Rodgers is, is going to part ways there? You know, there's not as many of those teams now anymore, but the Bucks are going to be there late. Would the Bucks consider somebody late in round one? Uh, you know, and say, okay, Brady's going to play, whatever, a few more years. But this is an opportunity to maybe get somebody who we don't usually get the second third best quarterback in the draft class because they don't usually are they're not usually there late round one i think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to see what the nfl team thinks of these guys so you know we'll be here we'll be here breaking it down every step of the way and i think there's gonna be lots of uh lots of winding roads and and twists and turns and you're going to hear lots of different top fives and and lots of different opinions on these guys i don't think there's going to be a lot of certainty at the quarterback position at all well, you know, and, and just to kind of put a, a final stab and a point on it, the two quarterbacks that intrigue me the most out of the list of players that I just said to you, um, the guys that make my eyes open and say, yeah, I want to look deeper at those guys, it will still continue to be Matt Corral. Phil Yurkovic, I think, is a really interesting player if he does really come out. Um, but there's, a, I think there's some rumors that he might go back, but... I still think he's phenomenally interesting. Phil Yurkovic is a guy whose high school pedigree and ability is very, very um, storied, at least coming out of high school in terms of his abilities. And what he did at Boston College before the injury this year, I mean, he was injured this year, came back from injury. They thought it was going to be season ending, but comes back. He's an interesting cat. That guy would intrigue me big time. Six, I think he's like six foot four, almost six foot five, 226. He's a big dude. I mean, that falls into that kind of quintessential kind of physical traits category that people, I think, love. Um, and Malik Willis, those three guys would be the most intriguing to me. And that's not to say Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett, you know, haven't earned the right to be in the top, but those guys just kind of sit with me as players. I'd be looking very closely at if I were one of those teams, whether it be a team that's looking for their quarterback for next year, or maybe one of those teams, like you said, that sneaky team who's kind of in the latter area or latter kind of years of a player that they're kind of know they're going to have for a couple more like Seattle. What are we doing in Seattle with Russell Wilson? Is he staying? Is he going? Do we take a shot on a guy like him, you know, Matt Corral and just totally change it. Let's keep it vertical. We got the vertical guys. Let's go get a vertical thrower. You know, like, do they do that? Do they get a guy like that? You know, I think some of those teams, I think to your point, which was excellent, those are the teams I'm very intrigued to see where a guy like Yurkovic and Corral and Willis go because they need a little bit more shepherding, but you could see them making a kind of an ascension to a starting role if everything were to break right. 
Yeah, and Jerkovic is an interesting name. He's in the scouting notebook. I watched him in the summer, and I thought he was a little bit of a throwback. Like, he's not yeah. going to be a guy that fits the modern profile, but maybe Mac Jones is reopening the door for a guy who plays predominantly from the pocket. And if he, he plays, plays it, quick, and, and, he plays quick. He's not yeah. quick. Exactly. He's quick. So I, I think Jerkovic kind of falls in that Carson Strong was getting a little bit of buzz before the season started in Nevada. Uh, good size, good frame. Uh, you know, I think the arm talent is, is is better on Strong than it is on Jerkovic. But I think Jerkovic can make all the NFL throws. But he's just – he's not what we've seen the profile be of a first-round quarterback recently. So I think it's going to be interesting. He's a, But again – that's what this whole that's how, that's what this whole quarterback class is going to be. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be do teams kind of sell themselves and fall for somebody, and maybe it's going to be what they see in the interviews and what they see on the whiteboard and and talking to coaches and the work ethic and you know could they be the face of the franchise and and could they run the scheme that the coach wants to run? I think that could be a lot of of what we're seeing here. So it's going to be really interesting. I know. We're gonna break. We're gonna continue to follow it because I I don't think there's gonna be. I mean, I know we do that ranking show like literally like the week right before the draft, and you know that's when we finally finalize our rankings. And usually the quarterback position is pretty situated from long before that. But I'm not sure it's gonna be situated until I think everything, every piece of information we hear, every single thing we read about, we see, we watch. It could it could slightly move the needle a little bit to to break ties because I think we're, I think that's what we're gonna have we're gonna have a lot of ties in terms of you know who we like the most and, and it's gonna be a personal preference thing between draft Twitter evaluators like ourselves and the NFL world and I think that's why somebody might have Malik Willis at two and somebody else might have him at like seven that wouldn't surprise me at all when we're talking this draft class and, and I think that's gonna be a really fun aspect of this. Well, now, Paul, wait, no, I don't mean to prolong this any further, but just a question for you as you look at the landscape of teams out there and as you're asking yourself the most intriguing landing spots for one of these quarterbacks, is there any teams in your mind from what you've seen that seem more prime than others to potentially go, let's say, go the route early for a quarterback, maybe reach that you're interested in seeing who they grab? And is there any team that you're kind of seeing that you think is situated to be a little bit more in that sneaky kind of going to grab somebody late, might go top of round two just because we don't get the chance to get the cream of the cop? Do, do we see any of those teams or the two teams that kind of stick out in your mind, one being that's quarterback needy and one that might be sneaky that you're interested to see that might go this route? Anything that comes to mind, any teams that come to mind? I would say I don't think Washington – I'm sorry, I don't think Houston and Detroit, who are going to be at the top, top of the draft, I'd be surprised if they go to quarterback route this year. I could see them saying, you know what, maybe we grab somebody on day two, top of round two, top of round three. Now, maybe Houston doesn't do that because they just did that with Davis Mills. But I could see Detroit kind of maybe bringing in somebody to to kind of push Jared Goff a little bit next year and then say, you know, maybe next year they're probably going to be a really bad team again. Maybe there's somebody at the tippy top of the draft the following year if the day two guy doesn't kind of push Jared Goff by the side. So I could see those teams maybe being interesting at the top of round two. I think maybe in the latter part of top ten. Like I think a team like Washington – 
could get a chance to draft the first quarterback. Matt Corral might be the first quarterback taken, and he might be there at 7-10. to 10. I'm not sure he's going to be a, a top three pick because I could see Detroit and Houston just taking best player available, right? You know, there's elite edge rusher. There's elite offensive lineman. Those, that team is so, those teams are so far away from competing. And we're going to talk about this in the NFL Rookie Report about being really smart about putting a rookie quarterback in a situation not to succeed. I'm not sure either of those franchises thinks they're ready to throw a rookie quarterback, especially these what these quarterbacks are coming out of college. I'm not sure any of these teams are going to look at even Corral or these other guys and think, savior of my franchise, we are a terrible football team, but we're going to take this guy and throw him into the fire. I'm not sure they're going to do that. So I think a team like Washington, a team like Seattle, you know, and Seattle's probably going to win some games down the stretch here with, with Russ back. Uh, but what if Russ wants out? What if what if this is the offseason he finally pushes the envelope a little bit? Seattle could be in that 10 to 20 mix, and maybe they they find somebody that they that they want to invest in. So I think Washington and Seattle are interesting in the mid-round one. I think the top of the round two, the really bad teams like Detroit and Houston could be in the mix. Uh, obviously, you know, we got to keep an eye on Pittsburgh. They're going to be another team probably mm. picking in like the 20 range. Yeah, uh, yeah. They need a quarterback desperately too. And then, and then obviously you have teams like Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. Are they looking ahead? Uh, Denver's going to be in the middle of the pack. They are, they need a franchise quarterback. You know, what did the Colts think of, you know, Carson Wentz? Obviously that pick is going to become a first round pick to the Eagles. If he plays enough snaps, uh, so they might not even get an opportunity. I think the Saints are really interesting. Sean Payton, I could see him falling in love with somebody and thinking they can run his scheme because I think he realizes he doesn't have it. So I think in the middle of round one is going to be really the sweet spot where if these quarterbacks start coming off the board, it's going to be some of these teams that usually don't pick in the top 10 who are going to kind of almost fall in love with these guys, whether it's because they truly love them or because they they look at it as an opportunity to get somebody who they don't usually get to pick one of the top quarterbacks because they're usually picking further away from the top 10. So I think those are a couple teams of real intrigue there that I'd kind of throw into the mix. Uh, if we transition this over to the skill players, a couple things that stood out this weekend. One is Eric Gray is barely playing for Oklahoma anymore. This was a guy who was in most people's top five running back rankings before the season started. I was so excited about him transferring out of Tennessee, which had been a dumpster fire on offense. And he started the year basically an even split with Kennedy Brooks, him showing that pass catching ability. I really thought he was penciled for a day two pick. And now, I mean, he's barely playing in Oklahoma right now that, you know, I don't know where his draft stock is. It's got to be plummeting right now. Uh, So stock down on Eric Gray, not even playing down the home stretch here. Uh, Kenneth Walker continues to look really impressive, 143 yards and two touchdowns. And I think we're getting to the place, and you mentioned it a couple weeks ago, Matt, and I think more people are going to have to start coming around on it, is Isaiah Spiller's not really having a strong year. There's multiple games this year that other running backs in his own backfield are outproducing him. So I think Kenneth Walker has seized control potentially, and when I update my rankings, I am going to move him into the number two spot after Brees Hall, because I think Isaiah Spiller is taking a little bit of a step back. I don't even think Isaiah Spiller is in the conversation anymore to be around one guy. I think now at best we're talking round two for him or round three. 
I think Kenneth Walker is a name that has now jumped into the mix after Brees Hall. And don't look now, but the Jerry and Ely bandwagon is going to start filling up again because a few weeks ago we were talking about we were talking about what what has happened to him, and now all of, and now all could, of a sudden. I mean, you could see people people were like, you know, walking around in, you know, black attire as they were mourning his loss because I mean, we didn't know what happened to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking I mean, outstanding performance, right? 24 carries, 152 yards, right? And some receptions to add on to that. I mean, I Jerry on Ely, I'll say it once and I'll say it again, and I'm not saying that he should be off the hook for anything that he's done. Same thing with Matt Corral. I mean, it's kind of not ironic, but it's kind of interesting how they followed similar kind of pathways to where they are now. Jerry on Ely was the most exciting player coming out of his respective high school class as in terms of being a ball carrier. He was outstanding in every facet of the game. And, you know, maybe he had to make his peace with the fact that, you know, and, and this is how talented he is that he even had the major league baseball as an option. Maybe he's kind of said, you know, that train is, is moving and, and now it's time to be ready for, you know, the running back train. And I, I love, I, I still think Jerry on Ely is a very talented player. And again, it's about consistency though. I mean, you can't just flash in the pan and then disappear. That won't get you any carries at the next level, but he is definitely a multifaceted back. And hopefully this means that it's, you know, starting to come to fruition for him. Yeah, and I think the doors the doors open, right? The doors open for a team to look at him and not think that he's going to be a bell cow, but there's so few of them in the NFL, right? Like, you know, I, they're not going to invest another another pick in him. But, like, think about, like, New England. If they thought Ramondre Stevenson or, or Damian Harris was, was their 1A, look how good Jerry Ely would be as the heir apparent to be that change of pace, pass catching back that James White has been, but Ely would be a much better runner, like compliment. Or if Tennessee, if Tennessee says, you know what? Derrick Henry suffered an injury this year. We can't keep, if we want to get a few more good years out of him, we can't run him into the ground 30 times a game. And we need a legitimate second option let's go get this kid and talking about thunder and lightning, like, you know, in terms of they want to be a running run first team and you can have Henry and then you take Henry off the field and you bring on Jerry and Ely's explosiveness, right? There's other places where you you start seeing a team might look at Jerry and Ely and say, we're going to invest a day to pick on this guy because he brings a dynamic all around offensive playmaking ability to kind of be a spark to our offense. And, and so many teams in the NFL are looking for that. What if Buffalo wanted to say, yeah, we know Zach Moss can be a grinder. Josh Allen runs a lot near the goal line, but why let's add a dynamic playmaking running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield and make people miss and, and be a home run threat and do some RPO stuff with Josh Allen. You know, there's a lot of places that I could see a team in day two looking at Jerry Ely and, and saying, look, look what Michael Carter has done in, in bits and pieces. He should have been a day two pick. He fell because of apparently some injury concerns. We talked about that last week. Jerry Neely can be that. He can be Chase Emmons plus. He can be early career Giovanni Bernard, but more athletic, right? There's a lot of comps that we could have there. And I think that's just the that's just the floor. The upside is even higher than these guys I'm mentioning. But even if that's the floor for Jerry Neely, I could see a team on day two being intrigued by him. So I know he's a guy that we've been loving. I think he's still he's still very much in my top five at the running back position. 
and I got to add one more name to it because uh, you know I was talking with some people over the weekend, um, and it was a player who I, I know you and I have been kind of really just slowly kind of like just you know not, I don't want to say pounding. I don't know if we were pounding like this, but we were just knocking on the door. Been knocking on the door all year. James Cook. James Cook had a disgustingly huge game against Tennessee. 10 carries, 104 yards, two touchdowns, and he added to that three catches for 43 yards and a receiving touchdown. The man scored three touchdowns, and he put together over 150, almost 150 yards of all-purpose yards. I mean, you talk about a player that fits that role that you're describing, Paul, and he's right there and should be right there. And he's a very much a late bloomer, a guy that we had. I remember he was in our first, um, he was in our first freshman notebook, and I had him as the fifth. I had him as the fifth, fifth. It was a five. It was very. I had him very high for what he was, and he was just a guy that I remember we were both watching, going, "Oh my god, little Dalvin Cook can move." <laughs> yeah, little Dalvin Cook can move. James Cook, Dalvin Cook's brother, is an exceptionally great space player and it looks like he finally put it all together he outrushed paul he outrushed by a sizable margin zamir white outrushed him by a sizable margin in that game i mean zamir white put up a respectable game right 12 carries 56 yards 55 yards or so but it was cook with 10 carries that put up over 100 yards i mean he is a player and I think it's only a matter of time before we see his stock universally across the community continue to kind of emerge. Yeah, and you know what? I I think the, I think the NFL is going to view James Cook very much like they view Tony Pollard. And I don't know if people have been watching Tony Pollard, man. But somebody, if, if you haven't watched Dallas recently, just do yourself a favor. Go watch some Dallas highlights. Go watch some Dallas games. Find a, find a full game of Dallas. You watch Ezekiel Elliott run and you watch Tony Pollard run, and come back to me and tell me who's the better player right now. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work out like that in the box score because Jerry Jones is not going to let that happen, right? He's not. But if you take the names off the back of the jerseys, if you take away all their pedigree prior to anything, and you just watch Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard play football, Tony Pollard's more talented right now. And I think that's what we're seeing in the Georgia backfield to some extent. Zamir White was the more highly regarded. In, in the in terms of recruiting, he was more highly regarded. In in Devi circles, he's been more highly regarded. But every time I watch a Georgia football game, I walk away thinking James Cook's a more talented player, a universally more talented player, more versatile, more dynamic. I think the NFL is going to see it that way too when, when push comes to shove. Uh, so I'm really glad you brought him up because I think he's going to be a guy that there's going to be a crescendo going up uh, when it comes to him. If we take this to the wide receivers, not a lot to talk about. It's the same guys. David Bell, 11 catches, 103 yards. Garrett Wilson, 10 catches, 126 yards, and three touchdowns. Chris Olave, nine catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Every week these guys deliver. It's going to be interesting to see how high in a year that I think there's a lot of uncertainty on the offensive side of the ball. we got some good offensive linemen. we got a good. We got some good defensive players. These wide receivers might end up going a lot higher than we think 
because I think a lot of people are going to look at these wide receivers and think they're ready to, to, to produce. And they might be looked at as very safe prospects in a draft class that there's not a lot of safe offensive side of the ball picks. So, you know, worst case scenario, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are rock solid number twos, right? And, and they're going to be drafted to probably be number ones. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't see it. I don't really see a scenario where Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson bust. And I think that might hold a lot of merit when you're talking about this draft class because of how weak of a class it is on the offensive side. And, and you know, Gary Wilson, I continue to say, reminds me of Calvin Ridley and Chris Olave. It, to me, he's got some part Terry McLaurin, but he can, you know, I think he might even, you know, McLaurin, we, we didn't see a lot of versatility in college. I think Olave, we've seen more versatility, him winning at, at different levels of the field. But I think both of these guys are going to have a shot to be in the top 15 mix. And I didn't know if anybody was going to be a top 15 wide receiver this year, as much as I like these guys. But I do think with the lack of real star power on the offensive side of the football, some of these wide receivers might feel like high value, high ceiling, high floor. They're the guy that we're going to get. We Every team uses three, four wide receivers now. Who cares what's on our depth chart? Best available player. Every team could use more skilled players, more receivers. I think we're going to see a lot of these guys get pushed up the board even higher than we might have originally thought. Yeah, and and I think to your point, I think I think the NFL is is transitioning towards this kind of uh, cast a wide net when it comes to you know your your wide receivers. It seems like you know we talked about it already. I mean, how many how many receivers now that are being taken? early, late, mid rounds, they're getting a shot, right? I mean, that those opportunities are starting to emerge for players. I mean, again, not to not to revisit this again, but we see the, you know, the likes of Donovan People Jones seeing the field and suddenly Brian Edwards is seeing the field more. And, you know, and obviously people say there's obviously very warranted reasons for that for those two guys because of other circumstances that occurred around the players. But my point being is is that you know, I think teams are casting a, a wide net and are willing to invest and find a receiving core that complements their quarterback the best. I think gone are the days of, you know, like we said, finding the receivers that are the focal point. I think that exists, but only in rare occasions. I, I can't even remember really recently receivers that kind of fit that mold. Um where they're the absolute focal point, regardless of a quarterback. I think, I think there's very few of those guys. Um, even though we had some of them, like the Ridleys that we thought and the Judys that we kind of felt very good about, with the Chases and the Devonta Smiths. But I still think even the likes of a Jalen Waddle, as much as I love him, I, I think he was a guy that you know was a player who had a certain style of play that fit some quarterbacks, but not every quarterback. Um, and, and I think that that's that's becoming more the norm, like get as many colors on the palette in terms of types of wide receivers that you could draft. And let's see what fits our quarterback the best and how he likes to see the field and how he likes to play the game. And I think that that's becoming more the norm. We're seeing Devin Duvernay, right? Starting to get more and more, even, even though I still burn a candle from him. And even though it's very limited, we know Rashad Bateman's the guy. My point is that even the Devin Duvernay's, the guys that we know have multiple faceted types of skill sets, those guys are getting opportunities. So I do agree with you. I do think that the wide receiver is the safer pool in terms of talent and return. 
probably in the skill player uh, format that we have this year. But I do think that all wide receivers <laughs> in, in, in any class, I think there's always room for these guys to rise on teams, especially given the type of passing game that's being run today. So I think there's a lot of guys. John Dotson is obviously getting a lot of, still getting a lot of love. Um, and obviously Drake London, but like you said, David Bell, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, these guys are, these guys are going to be guys they're going to invest in. I think they're going to invest in these guys early because you know what you're kind of getting and <laughs> you always need another player who could be a great route runner and a good receiver of the football. And it's a, it's a good thing to have on your offense, given the fact that we are throwing every down now to basically move the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the, the where we are in the NFL game. And nobody has enough receivers. Everybody can use more receivers, right? The Rams go out and get Odell Beckham. They didn't know about Robert Woods' injury then because he got hurt after they signed them. They didn't care that they had Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and, and, and a developing and emerging Van Jefferson. They said, no, we want Odell. And, you know... The Giants went out and got Kenny Galladay and had Sterling Shepard and Darius Layden, and they were like, we want Kadarius Toney, right? Teams want to continue to add firepower to the mix, um, and I think we're going to see these guys go really high uh, when, when it comes to draft weekend. If we take this to the Debbie slant, and just after we've been singing the praises of Caleb Williams, he goes out and lays a stinker against Baylor and gets benched, after the fans start screaming, we want Rattler. Rattler comes in the game. He didn't look much better. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where Oklahoma goes from here. At this point, I, I kind of think Rattler is going to probably leave the program after the year. So I think they should just go back to Kayla Williams. But I think it's an interesting discussion point nonetheless. Uh, B. John Robinson out the year with a shoulder injury. So I think the question with B. John becomes like, he doesn't really need to play college football next year. Like every once in a while, we we kind of run into this debate. Like, is it worth it for him to play football next year and risk a major injury when he already is going to be the number one RB next year? Would have been the number one RB if he was allowed to come out this year. You know, we, we get these players every so often and it's kind of like, you know, if there was no age restriction, he'd be gone. And now like this year ends with an injury. Obviously, thank God it's not like an ACL or an Achilles or anything like that. But still, it's a season-ending injury, uh, you know, and definitely makes it one of those talking points of whether or not he should be allowed to come out. C.J. Stroud dominates 361, five touchdowns. But I think the interesting thing to bring up about C.J. Stroud is, is it, is it just, is it him? Is it, or is it plug and play, right? When you're throwing the Chris Olave, when you're throwing the Garrett Wilson, when you're throwing the Jackson Smith and the Jigba, like – it's how do you, how do we decipher is he putting up these stats because he's getting plenty of time and his wide receivers are so skillful or is it him is it a combination of the both i think it's really hard when you're talking about three what, what is going to be first round picks it's the same discussion we had about tua and mac jones and these guys that like they were playing with four guys who were going to be first round picks in the nfl draft like you know, like what college team can cover three or four first round wide receiver picks. So I, I think that's an interesting talking point. And then Rakeem Jarrett, you know, we've talked about Keishon Booty a lot. We we talked about Jackson Smith and the Jigba, but I think Rakeem Jarrett, to me, he's right there in the mix, probably as the third wide receiver in terms of underclassmen. 
Um, interested to hear your take. Do you think those are the clear top three in terms of underclassmen wide receivers? Because I think there's been a drop after that, the Marvin Mimses of the world. I think those guys have dropped. To me, there's a clear top three in terms of underclassmen wide receivers in the Debbie community. And it's Booty, it's uh, Smith and the Jigba, and it's Rakeem Jarrett. Yeah, I love Rakeem Jarrett. I, I get a lot of I get a lot of vibes when I watch him of you know the player that Kadarius Tony is now and maybe where Rakeem Jarrett could go. Definitely on a more physical level. I think he wants to win with contact. I see a lot of I see I, I remember watching him and saying I see a lot of DJ Moore. And it's kind of kind of funny that that I, I felt that way, obviously, looking at a Maryland player and, and a guy like Rakeem Jarrett, but I really like Rakeem Jarrett. I thought he was very raw. I thought he was a great athlete at the time, and I thought he great. He moved really well in space. But I thought he had a you know a little bit of work to do as a, as a receiver in terms of refining his overall skill set. And I think he's beginning to kind of you know realize that. And I think he's a, a player for sure that should be in the mix. And I and I do think it's you know Booty, and I do think it's um, which McCall. I do think it's Booty. I do think it's uh, Rakeem Jarrett and. I, I think those are the guys for sure that we should be, you know, kind of paying attention to when it comes to the wide receiver position. Caleb Williams going back to the Oklahoma. Oh my God, just leave Caleb Williams on the field. <laughs> just like leave him on the field. Really? Like, I don't know why. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to vent to everybody. Very rarely do we lose our composure here and, and vent a little bit, but I, I, I feel like why? Why undermine the only two? Do- you, he's the last dude. He's the one who's carrying your flag out there. He's staying there. He's going to be your quarterback. And yeah, he was he was having a bad game, and he's been great all year. He doesn't yeah, get, like I mean he doesn't get to have one bad game as a freshman. Yeah, like I mean, like come on, man. I mean, like you're looking at your field, you're going, wow, we 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 really have to get rid of this kid. He's having a bad game. I mean, like I mean, I want to, I almost want to like, I almost would want to shake Lincoln Riley and just be like, come on, man, really? That that just doesn't sit well with me. I I think Caleb Williams deserved to be out there. Let him finish it. Let him finish it. It wasn't going well. Just let him finish his game. You think you could have reclaimed it by getting, you know, a player like Rattler in there. And to your dismay, it didn't really occur. And now you're in a worse state of affairs than I think you were before the game uh, even ended. You almost are now in a situation where probably neither quarterback is too happy with you. And probably and both of them are probably slightly looking over their shoulder or sideways as to what's happening next week. And that's just not what you need in your locker room as what I hope is still a locker room that's saying we want to salvage, you know, potentially making, I don't think they're going to get an opportunity to get into the college football playoffs, but, you know, maybe a bowl game and just kind of keeping the momentum of the program going, moving forward and, and building off your recruiting class saying, look at what we have here. It was only his first year. You could be playing with him and we could go all the way. I mean, like you're, you're setting up a, just a, a state of affairs that I think just brings unnecessary uh, level of, anxiety and angst to it as to what we're doing and listen Lincoln Riley's earned the right to make these decisions I know that I know he's you know one of the most sought after college football and football minds out there but I I I, I had a little head scratcher here when I was looking at that I was like really they pulled him he's benched and I have yet to to get a chance to watch the whole game but I didn't leave it watching like going like wow wow you got to make a move because what a tragic, horrendous, like game. it was a, it was a bad game, but he also had games that were phenomenal. So I, I think it's, I, I think I was a little bit, 
I was a little concerned there. So, I mean, from a Debbie standpoint, I, I still think that Jackson's, uh, you know, Najiba is the guy that's going to be one of the hot names for you guys to get, I think, in uh, Debbie communities. I think everybody knows that. Um, but I do think Rakeem Jarrett is is available, and I think he'll be widely available too. I think you'll be able to get him late. I don't think you're going to have to get him that early. I think there's an opportunity to still go get him. I don't think he's going to fly off the board, but I think Buti, uh, Najiba, as well as Jarrett, I think those are the guys, Paul. And I do think that those are players that, you know, outside of Buti, who's probably gone, Najiba is going to be the first name off the board for everybody. And then after that, I do think it's going to be wide open. I do think Jarrett's going to be very available for people um, in that top, in that just out of that top five or at the end of that top five in respective Debbie draft. So I think he's a very obtainable player who could have big dividends, especially as they mature and continue to mature into their role at the position and as they start to ascend to that prospect status as they transition to the NFL. Yeah, and I think I think there's I feel like in the past there's been mourning for renames, right? When we're talking underclassman wide receiver, I feel like it, it's been a little bit more in the bunch. And I feel like these guys have kind of separated now from from the others. And some guys have taken steps back this year. And I'm interested to kind of see who emerges and kind of pushes their way to be that second tier of underclassman wide receiver in Devi circles. So let's spin this over to the NFL rookie report for this past week. Couple couple thoughts I'll run through, and then you can kind of pick and choose where you want to go with it. Uh, I think at the running back position, it's clearly stock up on Elijah Mitchell and Ramondre Stevenson. Elijah Mitchell clearly has the trust of Kyle Shanahan. Twenty-seven carries, ninety-one yards. If he continues to play well and runs away with this job, I don't think I don't. It's going to be very hard for Trey Sermon to take it away from him. I, I and now I'm not talking about just this year. I'm talking about long term. I think they could look at it and say, listen, yeah, Trey Sermon, we took higher, but it didn't pan out as, as well as we like. But Elijah Mitchell, we found the guy, and he's gonna be he's gonna be the lead of, of a of a dual backfield. So I think stock up on him. I, I think people have been maybe in the past trying to say, like, oh, sell high on him, like kind of like I was saying with James Robinson last year. But here's the difference. San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan and, and his dad, they find running backs that they like at all stages of the draft that fit their scheme. That was very different than James Robinson, who, you know, you had a new regime coming in in Jacksonville and a lot of draft capital. And that's what made me concerned about the James Robinson, you know, long-term value. I Kyle Shanahan's not going anywhere. So if, if this is his guy now, just like Raheem Mostert kind of sees control there for a period of time, you know, minus all the injuries, I kind of feel like Elijah Mitchell might be doing that and he might be undervalued a little bit in the dynasty community right now because people are just kind of waiting for the other foot to drop and think he's eventually going to seize control of that backfield. I'm not sure he is. So I, I think he's an interesting buy. Ramondre Stevenson, to me, when I watch him play, looks like a better runner than Damian Harris. So I think it's going to be really interesting, you know, not just the rest of this year, but next year, you know, how that situation unfolds there in new England, but Ramondre Stevenson is a guy who, you know, I, I know talking to a friend today, he, he reached out to me and said, would you trade Ramondre Stevenson for a late second round rookie pick? And I said, no, absolutely not. There's not going to be running backs late in round two that are more intriguing than Ramondre Stevenson, not even close in this upcoming draft class, not even close. 
I'd rather be buying Ramondre Stevenson for a mid to late second round rookie pick than selling him away for that for sure. Uh, Devonta Smith, ever since we, a couple weeks ago, we had some questions like, you know, should we be questioning him? He's absolutely been tearing it up. This week, he's making plays vertically down the field at the catch point. If he starts adding that to his repertoire, watch out. Uh, clear that he has emerged as the clear number two rookie wide receiver after Jamar Chase. Uh, you know, even when Kadarius Tony had his good weeks, we talked about how we still uh, – thought the Alabama receivers should be rated higher than them. And that hasn't changed in my eyes at all. It's Jamar Chase. It's Devonta Smith. It's Jalen Waddle. And then I think you get into the next tier of Kadarius Tony and Rashad Bateman uh, in, in terms of the wide receiver rookies. Uh, and then the quarterback situation. Mac Jones has his best game as a pro. They asked him to push the ball vertically down the field. I know this was the first time in watching New England that they did, they kind of let him rip it a little bit, and they kind of took off the training wheels a little bit, and he really produced well. I still think, you know, at this point, I, I'm willing to take an L on Mac Jones and already say he's produced better at the NFL level than maybe I gave him credit for. I still wonder, though, if his ceiling is that much higher than a Kirk Cousins, though, who's a, who's a solid, good NFL starting quarterback. And... I think Mac Jones is, I always said I thought Mac Jones could be in that Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins range. And I think he's clearly going to be better than Andy Dalton, but I still have questions about whether or not he'll be far superior than a Kirk Cousins. Does he ever become a top five or top 10 guy? I still don't think that, but I think he's married to a perfect scheme and what they have created for him right now. And he's doing it without a lot of good playmakers, which I think that's the part that somebody who wants to believe in Mac Jones even higher than the credit I'm giving credit for is, well, what if he had skill players? What if he had some of his Alabama receivers? What if they go out and really get some receivers and get a first round guy and get a free agent that's better than the Nelson Aguilar's and the Jacoby Myers of the world? He's producing right now with suspect, one of the worst receiving groups in the NFL, and he's producing and, and and managing what they ask him to do, could they feel like they could take the training wheels off for good and let it rip if they had the appropriate skill players and they know that this is what they have to do this year? So I think that's where the exciting part is, is that his ceiling might be a lot higher than I think myself and many people gave him credit for. And then Trey Lance, I think we have to start asking the question, should we be a little bit concerned? I know San Francisco had a really big win last night against the Rams. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I, my thoughts on this were prior to that game even happening is San Francisco wasn't sitting there at the top of the standings with like an eight and two record. And I think it's a legitimate question that like, at some point, are they going to turn the page to Trey Lance and start saying, we want to get ready for next year. And the fact that he hasn't taken that, backfield over yet as the quarterback what does that say about him right now like does it say anything about him is it just a young player coming from a small program not playing much because of covid last year but it's not like jimmy garoppolo has been laying the world on fire you would think that this was the guy they handpicked you'd want to get him on the field and start you know adjusting to him being the guy long term and get out the, the kind of errors and issues that all rookie quarterbacks have I think there's at least a legitimate talking point of should we be concerned that he hasn't taken control of that backfield yet uh, in terms of the leader in the quarterback room. But I think it might just be that he's going to wait it out a little bit longer. 
I don't know what to make of, you know, the whole situation with Trey Lance and everything that's going on right now um, in San Francisco. My, my feeling is, to your point, I, I think it's a matter of being ready. And I think it speaks more to the fact that he's really probably not ready. And that's okay. I think there was the discussion of it being, you know, on the table that that was going to be something that Shanahan was very open about. Like it's, it may not be this year. And that doesn't mean that it's bad. It just could not be this year. So I, I think that, again, when you're talking about these quarterback, when you're talking about these organizations where the coach and the organization on some level supersede basically anybody, any single player that could come in and kind of, uh, let's say move the needle in terms of interest, it's going to be few and far between. So I think, you know, the shining star of San Francisco continues to be the, the, you know, the coach and the organization. So they'll have whatever liberties they need to take in order to shepherd Trey Lance along as they see fit. So I, I agree with you. I think it's interesting. I think they're going to avoid the ire of the public scrutiny just simply by virtue of who is going to be calling the shots and, you know, what organization it is that is currently kind of holding the rights to Trey Lance, that San Francisco organization, you know, I I think it's going to be, I think they're going to always kind of have that in their pocket to be able to move that. And that goes the same thing with Mac Jones, right? I think Mac Jones went to a very similar type of situation where you look at Belichick, you look at new England, those will always be bigger elements or bigger entities than anything Mac Jones will ever be. So he's still just kind of he's in the perfect situation to kind of just emerge as they see fit. Like you said, they took the training wheels off, let him throw down field a little bit. You know, nobody will question that they've, you know, they've kind of earned the right to call the shots the way they do. I think with Mac Jones, I think absolutely for me, I am going to absolutely take the L on that one because I I don't I didn't think he was a horrible quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't tell you that I. I was like all about him being like this guy that was going to be taken like, you know, number two or number three overall or be very high. And he didn't, he didn't go high, but I I didn't see it necessarily emerging quite like this. I will say though, when he did go to new England, I was like, well, if he's going to make it work, it's going to be there. So, I mean that, that I will say like there was, it was very much writing on the wall that if Mac Jones was going to be successful as a quarterback, I thought new England was the most ideal situation for him to do it in. So yeah, I'm very happy for the kid. Better be wrong. Better to be wrong and 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 enjoy seeing these guys rise. Um, but the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks right now are interesting. And I think that, you know, in this class, it's funny that these discussions are all around Lance and Mac Jones and obviously Justin Fields finally starting to be the guy, finally just getting it where he's the guy. Um I think it's Justin Fields. I mean, listen, we were we were in the Justin Fields could emerge and be the guy type of discussion when it came to him being the quarterback of this class. And it, you know, it may continue to trend that way. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is gone. I think Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville in general is just right now a complete and utter disarray. That's what I think is going on. I don't think, I, I I can't really I can't really target Trevor Lawrence. What do you think about the Trevor Lawrence Justin Fields kind of I mean, because let's say they were the headliners, right, Paul? These were the guys that were headlining the class. Forget the position. They were class headliners. 
And now it seems to be that they're on page two a little bit more with with the sudden emergence or reemergence again of Justin Fields. Where do you sit on them right now if you're in a dynasty or even just an NFL setting? Where where do you feel as a fan, as somebody watching it? Are they meeting expectations? Are they falling short? Are they on schedule, off schedule? Are you mad if you love the Jaguars? Are you still happy? Are you wh- wh- where do you, where do you sit? Forget Jets. I'm not even going to bring Zach Wilson into this. That poor man has a lot going on that he needs to deal with. But where do you think about those two in particular? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I'd still be buying them everywhere in, in Dynasty and Fantasy. That that's a no brainer for me. Yes. But I think the I think the larger question is this year more than any other year, and it goes to what I said before. I don't think bad football teams are going to look at this new quarterback class, the 2022 group, and say, savior. And I think last year, a couple teams looked and looked and said, savior. And they didn't have their ducks in a row. They didn't have the, the, the foundation and the structure. And more than any year I could ever remember, we are seeing rookie quarterbacks who are ultra-talented failing and looking really poor and part of it is their own doing i'm sure but some of it is the lack of organizational structure and foundation of putting them in positions to succeed building up the line giving them playmakers the appropriate game plan and scheme we started out for weeks with justin fields like it Coaching malpractice, not to put him on the move, utilizing his athleticism and running the exact same offense that Andy Dalton was running. Coaching malpractice. We've seen Trevor Lawrence get thrown into the the, the fire there, and we have to hope he could just come out of it without being a shot quarterback who never lives up to expectations based on how poor everything around him there is in Jacksonville. Same thing with Zach Wilson. And maybe that's why San Francisco is being a little bit more patient with Trey Lance because they don't want to throw him into the fire and potentially ruin him. But New England, even with the lack of talented pass catchers, their organizational structure, their week-to-week game plans – Asking Mac Jones to do what he can do well and not asking him to not do things he's not good at has led to him having this ultra success right out of the gate. And I think you can make I don't want to I don't want to belittle that on Mac Jones because he deserves all the credit for that. But I, I I just have a suspicion that if Justin Fields was the quarterback of the Patriots or Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback of the Patriots, they wouldn't be looking as bad as they are right now. I think Josh McDaniels would have had a game plan from the minute Justin Fields took over of utilizing his athleticism as part of the weekly game plan. I think they would have put Trevor Lawrence into a situation to be more successful. So I think we're seeing just how important the foundation and the structure is. Here in New York, we have seen Daniel Jones not be very successful after some good moments his rookie year. But some of that is his own fault. But a lot of it is also we have seen horrendous coaching, horrendous play calling, and a horrendous offensive line that they just can't fix. 
And very few quarterbacks are transcendent enough to be able to supersede their surroundings and the environment there to be on this ridiculous level, like what Peyton Manning often did with the Colts. Because truth be told, besides giving him playmakers, they didn't really set him up to be successful. They didn't really have a great defense besides a couple speed edge rushers. They didn't really have a great offensive line, but he was just such a transcendent talent. He could make up for that. We're seeing this year, Patrick Mahomes can't do it. We're so, we saw in the Super Bowl last year. Now, listen, I think Mahomes is a transcendent talent. Don't take me, don't take my words against me because I do think he is. But we see even transcendent talents. If the foundation around them is not good, what could happen? We saw it in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes. We've seen it at times this year. He's still a great player, obviously. But we've seen Kansas City prior to this week's offensive explosion on Sunday Night Football we sort of really have a lot of bouts of inconsistency this year because of the surrounding. So now imagine a rookie quarterback coming into the NFL. You just have to hope they're not ruined by what's going on in some of these places. I know we have uh, other players that you were going through and, and I don't want to, to diminish them because we've been talking a lot about quarterbacks, but you know, uh, there you go. Oh, that, that, I don't know what just happened on my phone, but that was interesting. So I, I just wanted to ask you a question though, which was, if you're if you're looking at the the pool of talent that's available in this particular class, obviously you're going after some of these the quarterbacks. But is there anybody else that's on that kind of second tier emergent list of players this year that you're still going to be kind of checking in with owners? You talked about Elijah Mitchell, completely agree with that. Is there any other players in that second tier, so to speak, that emergent tier, as I would call it, where their best years are happening or beginning to happen into next year? Anybody that's in that list or in this class that you're kind of looking at? Two guys. One guy would be Khalil Herbert because we saw them immediately kind of push him to the back burner. But I think his skill set is really intriguing. And I, I don't think David Montgomery is a great player. I think he's a good player. And I could see them moving on from him when his first contract expires. And then the other one we barely heard from this year, and that's Josh Palmer. And I, I'm going to kind of use Josh Palmer and that situation kind of to transition to the last segment of the show, which is the Dynasty Report. It wasn't that long ago we were, t- we were pushing Mike Williams all the way to the top 15 of, of Dynasty wide receiver rankings. He has really struggled over the last X amount of weeks. So has that entire offense. Justin Herbert has really struggled. I don't know if it's the league catching up with him a little bit. I don't know if it's just some natural regression that a young quarterback is going to have some ups and downs. But whatever it is, we can't lose sight of the fact that Mike Williams is a free agent. And we don't know internally what the Chargers think of him. I, I'm sure he's going to be back there. They're probably not going to want to lose a, 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 a guy that Justin Herbert has had some really impressive weeks with, but he hasn't looked as good as he did early in the year. So I think his stock is down a little bit in the fantasy landscape. Not a lot. I, he's still young enough. But Josh Palmer could emerge there, whether it's Keenan Allen, just the age, you know, eventually catching up with him, or what if they don't franchise tag him and he hits the open market and Mike Williams gets an offer that is just far above what the Chargers are willing to offer? Not saying that's likely. It probably isn't. But the same reasons why I like Josh Palmer before the year started. I like the talent on the football field. I like the landing spot because he was going to be attached to a really young quarterback who is willing to push the ball vertically down the field. I think that's where Josh Palmer succeeds. He's He probably could be had for 
almost nothing right now. I would still want to get Josh Palmer because I see multiple different paths for him eventually to, to have an opportunity, whether it's Keenan Allen just getting older and more opportunity emerging that way, whether it's Mike Williams leaving, whether it's that they just, you know, Herbert gets to a point where he can produce enough stats for three wide receivers, kind of like Dak Prescott we thought was going to do this year for C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper at the higher level, but still thought Michael Gallup was still being drafted in most circles in fantasy as a wide receiver three, four. So who's to say that can't be, even if Mike Williams stays, who's to say that that can't be Josh Palmer if Justin Herbert emerges they're very pass happy they push the ball vertically down the field so those would be the two guys and but i do think it opens up the question in the dynasty report that mike williams's stock is a little bit down is the league catching up with justin herbert a little bit have have some defenses and teams found a way to slow him down i don't know if it's just a small blip on the radar listen justin herbert came into the league with a lot of questions in terms of processing and progressions and decision-making. And we knew he had all the raw tools, but he didn't, he hasn't really ran into too many hiccups. He's had a couple moments here and there, but right now he's, he's in the worst stretch of his career. And I'm assuming he's going to come out of it just fine, but we at least got to acknowledge that there's not, it's not impossible. It's not a 0% chance that the league has found some things. Now he's going to have to adjust and adapt to show that he can handle how defenses are now playing him. We, he has to show that next step in his development process. So th- those are two things in the dynasty section uh, that I, that I kind of wanted to touch base on. And then the last one was, I know we've talked over weeks about RB1 moving forward, and we joked around that it was Derrick Henry. And then I, I think Jonathan Taylor very much has to be in the mix, man. This guy, you watch him play. He's a special talent. He's young. He's physical. He's a guy that, you know, you probably don't, have as much concerns about his body breaking down. It's like a smaller guy, like, you know, like Christian McCaffrey. So I think Jonathan Taylor is right there either at one, two or three. I'm going to put him so there when I update my uh, dynasty positional rankings soon. And I think Jonathan Taylor deserves to be up there. I just want everybody to know for all you can tell that Paul is not a Christian McCaffrey owner because Chris, he, he mentioned his name. See, I've learned that you don't mention Christian McCaffrey's name on odd days of the month or the <laughs> week or certain hours because what happens is is he's out for two games. So you just you could tell that he's so – see how cavalierly he just kind of mentioned his name. You don't speak at the name of Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> you have not earned the right after the turmoil of all of his owners has gone through. I, no, I agree with you. Paul, I agree with you. Jonathan Taylor, for me um, – has been a guy that's been in speculation for me to be a guy that I would consider at the top right now. I, 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 I don't know how you don't. Um, I, I think Christian McCaffrey still warrants being in there as well. I think it's the same. It's the same cast of characters. I don't really know if much has changed in that running back group, but I think to your point, I think Jonathan Taylor's kind of, kind of emerging as the most consistent, reliant right now player if you have to choose a running back one in dynasty and say, take me to the promised land, I think it's got to be Jonathan Taylor because, again, Christian McCaffrey has been readily injured this season. Alvin Kamara is starting to get a couple more bumps and bruises as we go. Nick Chubb, same thing. I mean, you know, like we have to acknowledge that not that the guys are, that we're just talking about are breaking down and Jonathan Taylor is just – 
you know, uh, you know, an impregnable fortress of running back ability, but that, you know, like we always say, you got to think in kind of cycles of three years when it comes to some of these positions and running back happens to be one of them. And at, we're getting to that three, four year mark with some of the guys I just mentioned. And, you know, you're starting to see, you know, just the wear and tear of what is an incredibly challenging and physically demanding position. You know, DeAndre Swift had to sit out a, a game here and there. I mean, like, it's just it's just a, not a matter of if, it's when they're, they're going to have to take a week off or take some time off or heal up. I mean, it's just the demands and rigors of that particular position. So finding a guy who's kind of at the right at the beginning of their career already producing at a more than just a Pro Bowl level, but a, a phenomenal level, that's the guy you got to kind of go with. You know, and you got to lean into them and, and use them. Paul, I am interested about one position as we kind of close out. I know we're getting towards the end of the show here. I, I do have to I do have to take a stock check in your opinion on the tight end position. Is it still the same cast of characters as it's always been? Is there anybody, you know, on the come, so to speak, or on the, the precipice of kind of nudging into that top five type, top eight, in your opinion? Or is it still the same old, same old? Not to not to diminish their talent at all, but just in terms of the dynasty and playing, are we still looking towards like should Travis Kelsey be a sell right now? Um, should we be trying to move him and, and cash out while the while the while the money's still good, or or is he a guy that you're saying nah, you ride him a couple more years? Like where where are you feeling about the tight end position? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the Kelsey discussion is one where it's really dependent upon the context of your team, right? If you're a contender or close to a contender, no, you're just going to ride it out with him because it's a really terrible position still. If you're in a full-blown rebuild mode, then no, the time is to get out on Travis Kelsey. Get a first-round plus, you know, get a first-round pick plus something else for him, you know, because if you're years away from being good, what's the purpose of keeping Travis Kelsey, right? So I, I do think a guy like that, you know, it really depends on what, type and caliber team you have in terms of the tight end position i still think it's terrible i think when you when push comes to shove in fantasy you have in no particular order travis kelsey you know george kittle darren waller and then you have kyle pitts emerging and mark andrews to me there's a clear top five and then I think a lot of TJ Hawkinson's inconsistencies and struggles is due to the fact that the team is terrible. Jared Goff is terrible. They have no receivers. So everybody is keen in on him that I do think that if he had a functional team around him, he'd be the clear, clear six guy. And that would make up the, the clear top six. And then I really don't think like I've been waiting for Dallas Goddard to merge. I know Zach Ertz is gone, but at some point Dallas Scott's got to put potential into doing it. He would still be in that seven or eight mix. Noah Fant would still be in that seven, eight mix too. They'd be the next two guys for me, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're close to jumping in to the top five right now. I think they are a very, very distant from, from those guys that I mentioned before. I think Hawkinson is the one that's kind of a little bit of a gray area, but I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think Goddard and Fan kind of make up that, those next guys. And you, know, you can throw Mike Gusecki into the mix there. But, but I do, I think there's a lot of, you know, I think they're very inconsistent. They're back end tight end ones. They're in that, 
you know, seven to, to 10 range, seven to 12 range, depending on the size of your league, 10 teams, 12 teams. And I, I do think they're talented players, but they're very inconsistent. I mean, all tight ends usually are inconsistent, but, but to me, we haven't really seen anybody else emerge. Kyle Pitts, I think because of the draft capital and, and he's just going to be pilfered with targets. I think he's up there, but I don't see, we haven't seen Goddard or Noah fan or Tyler Higby or Mike Isecki or, you know, Cole Komet. We haven't seen anybody else emerge or even come close to saying, yeah, they're on the level of that top group. I will say, I think the ceiling is now higher for Mark Andrews than maybe what people thought it was because I think we're seeing a change in philosophy in Baltimore. And I don't know if that's a one-year thing because they have no running backs that are that are that are good this year. And if they get J.K. Dobbins back or invest in another guy next year, do we see a shift back? I don't know. At this point, I, I think they realize that Lamar Jackson can win and and by passing the ball a lot. And if that's the case and the volume stays high, then then Mark Andrews maybe should even be valued higher than than Travis Kelsey right now because I think that's he's a very talented player. The one question mark of that was, you know, prior to this year, he wasn't on the field for enough snaps. It was like 50 to 60. Now he's playing a lot more snaps. Now they're passing more. Uh, Everything's kind of came together for Mark Andrews. So he's the one that I think now is, I think it's really a a clear top five. It used to be to me a top four in Dynasty and then Andrews. I think it's a clear top five. Hawkinson kind of in his own little island. And then a couple guys who are talented, but really have not done anything to, to warrant moving up into the next tier yet. Yeah. And, and I think that it's one of those positions and I agree with you hundred percent where you got to begin to kind of hedge your bet a little bit. It's one of those few positions where you got to start thinking to yourself, you know, where can I start making moves for guys that, you know, could pan out in the long run or could, could be a guy that kind of emerges. And, you know, I still think the names to keep in mind and we've talked about these names all year. So none of these are new for you. Um, but I do think that the usage of Tyler Conklin should reinvigorate Irv Smith owners into holding steady on that stock because, to me, Tyler Conklin is playing very good. I mean, it's not like Tyler Conklin isn't doing well at the tight end position. I don't know if he's obviously anything of a, of a dynasty commodity um, because I do believe that Irv Smith, healthy Irv Smith, will immediately take over that role in advantage. I mean, if you if Tyler Conklin can do this – with what he's doing, then you can hold tight that maybe Irv Smith has that ceiling in him. But we'll have to see it happen when, when it happens. Other guys, I think, and Paul, you brought him up, Donald Parnum, another guy in that kind of Herbert mix of people that could emerge because what's going on with Jared Cook, he just doesn't go away. He's eventually going to go away. And Parnum does nothing but catch balls, and he's a guy who's extremely athletic. He's a good little head. And I think you can also go after the guys like right now, OJ Howard's completely free. What are they going to do with him? You know, he's completely free. Yeah, he's going to be on a new team. So I think he's a great stash right now to kind of see where he goes. I think Evan Ingram right now is a great stash if you can get him because those guys, that draft class and David Njoku, all three guys are going to be on new teams next year. And they all have really good athletic profiles. They all underperformed in their first landing spot, but they're all super talented that if you put them in the right scheme and the right system, do we see a new team get the most out of these guys? I'd be interested to find out because to be honest with you, after that group of like Gusecki and Noah Fans and, and those, I think it's wide open after that. So I would be trying to stockpile some of these guys who have the upside yeah. and the talent 
to emerge to be at least low tight end ones uh, with, with a really interesting skill set. I think that whole tight end class, I'd be trying to get some shares in them and kind of see how free agency play, uh, plays out. Yeah, and and I'm I'll end it there by saying that you know right now on a on a dynasty team of mine and Paul can attest to this. I think I've been hoarding you know tight ends as if it's like my job, you know, and I think I I try them on like I try on shoes. I mean like I have them for a week. I don't know, you know, I go over to somebody else and I feel it out. I think I've owned every tight end that's available probably in football right now, but I still kind of lock and load the same core guys that I believe in from day one, which is I still have Evan Ingram, I still own OJ Howard. I still own uh, Irv Smith. He's obviously a guy I wasn't going to get rid of. Um, and then Donald Parnum has been a guy that I'm just holding on to. And I'm also planning on holding on to, if I can hold on to him, I'm planning on holding on to a guy like, um, like uh, whatchamacallit, Mo Alley Cox, just to see, you know, if they can get it right in Indy, you know, because there's these guys, whenever you hear, whenever I see stat lines, because people say, well, what do you look at? Anytime I start seeing, consistency of targets but also consistency of receptions that's when i start going after receivers and i go after tight ends you know when i see a guy who gets three targets three catches 25 30 yards maybe a touchdown maybe nothing it's the three catches on three targets that that inspire me to can start considering guys because when you see that week after week to me that means that there might be a rapport that's building. And if there's a rapport that's building, I'm interested because quarterbacks, it's as much mental as it is physical. So Parnum keeps catching the ball, man. It seems like he's got two, three targets every week and people are like, oh, that's not a lot. You're right, but he catches all of them. And that matters. I think that matters when you're starting to look for who could emerge. Are they catching them? Are they making something out of it? Are they building some type of rapport? I think those are important things to consider. So I think there's tight end position will continue to be in a very interesting fantasy realm to explore, Paul, as the season continues to wind down and unfold. And I think it will be interesting to see who you stockpile as we go into next year. Yeah, and and see who emerges and, and can more people push their way into that top tier. I'm not sure, but, you know, there's a couple guys with a lot of raw talent that got to put it all together and and we'll see if they can so there it is guys the dynasty fantasy report the nfl rookie report the debbie slant report and the nfl rookie report for this week if you enjoy the coverage that matt and myself and jeff are bringing you please get over to the website quickest way ssfootball.com check out the premium content tab and for 9.99 you get access to all three of our premium notebooks you get access to the scouting notebook and the rankings notebook right off the bat the draft projections notebook in april of 2022 all our scouting reports very detailed will be updated many more guys will be added to the mix in that uh during the end of the season and in the first few months of the pre-draft season around the senior bowl and the combine uh you get our rankings notebook which has a plethora of different rankings draft eligible debbie rankings dynasty rookie rankings overall positional dynasty rankings and then you get the draft projections notebook in april tabs for every position offense and defense over 400 guys quick snapshot of who the player is and put in the order in us in terms of projecting what we are hearing and how we expect it to go. You get all of it for $9.99. It is the best way to support us and help us continue to do what we are doing here. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, 
Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.